Welcome to another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. To my left, understated but never underrated, you know him, you love him, Mr. Six Shooter himself. We got Cashmere Kirk Quillen in the building. <laughs> On the quick draw, McGraw. Word up. It was a little late there, you all right? I'm good, baby. Right. I was expecting it to let you know. It's oh, still, just let it let It's it still know. available. <laughs> Anybody can get it. Anybody can get it. I love it. I love it. Are you doing all right, brother? I'm doing well. Yourself? I love it. I'm, I'm happy, man. I'm good to see you, man. Blessed. What do, what do people say? Blessed and holly Blessed and holly That's right. All of that. All right. Too blessed to be stressed. Too blessed to be... All, all <laughs> the idioms. All of all them. Of I'm them. all of that, right? And to my right, of course, you know her, you love her. She's the boss at 593 Washington, the leader of the Blue Nose, the professional winner. Gloria Sherubin is in the building. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? How are you? I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful. How I, you feeling? I'm great. I love this, the sparkly earrings and what you got going on. Oh, thank you. And, and, the, and the, um, this is looking very spring. Okay. It's giving me spring. We're here for it, we're here for it. So there have been a couple of athletes, and this is not a new thing, right? There have been a couple of athletes who have gotten in trouble for doing dumb stuff. I had that thing on me in the club, or or I shot myself in the club. We go back right, to right, right, right. And people always say stuff like, well, you know, these kids are in their 20s, and you know, you never know what you would have done in your 20s. I would have done that. If it was something that you look at or you think about that happens now about people getting in trouble, and you're like, oh, that, that might have got me back in the day, what, what would it have been for you? There's so many things that, that sloppy drunk night, the day you learn that you never you want you to drink that much okay. of any one thing. Okay. Drinking things that are blue are bad. Okay. Okay. No more, no more hypnotic for you? No more hypnotic mixed with all of the other things, oh, probably. Wow. Ooh. Was you an incredible hooker? I was... I learned fast. I tried <laughs> and realized that didn't work it went, for drink me. Drink is good. Mm -hmm. Drink is good. Till it went bad. Outside of shooting myself in the club? Yeah, yeah. I think I possibly could have got caught up in any one of those different scenarios we have. Um, but I think as we witnessed them, people kind of try to make excuses for them. And I think that's when the level of stupidity kind of starts okay. to shift. And so you like, I knew it was some dumb shit. I know some brothers in their 50s still doing things that they tried to do in their 20s that didn't work and they re <laughs> they try to rebring it back up. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, a rebrand word. Like, yes. Like you're no dumber in your 20s than you are in your 50s. You don't think so? No. You think nah, so? I can't I can't agree with that. I think we super dumb. We're not. If we're not super dumb, you're, you're just willing to try more right, things in your right. 20s. When I bought the stolen car, that was a bad idea. Yes! Like, yeah, 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 you yeah, 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 yeah. clearly... They don't know that you got to tell the story real quick. They don't know the story. <laughs> this is not one that I want to really We're, dig into. Have we passed the statute of limitations but, on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She bought a stolen I car. I bought okay. a stolen car. And I knew it was a stolen car. In your 40s? No! no. Come on, man. Oh, I thought you joined downstairs. We still talk... <laughs> No, in my twenties. Truck truck downstairs. You know, with a good light. No. In my twenties. You know what I'm saying? And just convinced that I'd get away with it. You know what I'm saying? The fact that the entire DMV went down, and I'm I'm one of those people that don't do anything dirty with me. Cause the minute I get involved, I'm convinced that God has this kind of like hope to keep me right. <laughs> So he dismantles the entire scam falls apart. just on the basis that I'm involved. So I just want to know, I just want to say that I was in my 20s mm. and I purchased a brand new stolen car. Mm. Okay. And you know, this is when- Fresh off the lot. This Word. is when they was like, nah, we're going to change the numbers. Uh. I had the whole DMV situation down pat because they gave me paperwork, everything until that whoop whoop. Hey, you. <laughs> pulled over and it went- Totally left. And they knew we were young and dumb. It was just like, 
And that's the we thing. We didn't get a record from it because clearly I wasn't driving. Mm-hmm. We, and I was supposedly just the girlfriend going for a ride. And the guy that was driving was just that's how you, that's borrowed his friend's car. That's, that, that's how cops? we got away with the whole situation. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and I got a brand new Pathfinder for $3,500. Perfect. The blue Why did I think that was going to work in my 20s? It did work. Because it was in your 20s. For two days, bro. It so did, we was chilling in that Pathfinder. For and the Pathfinder was hot. So honestly, with that whole story and that whole experience, you wouldn't do that today? If Absolutely you did, if you not. didn't do it, if you didn't do it back then. No. What? That's the point. No. Well, no, I'm that's the not point. doing that. You're though. more risk averse now. Like, right. like this this dumb is dumb. Right. Stupid is stupid. Like you're not gonna get away with that. Like I was convinced that I was. Today mm. I'm just like, you Because you have more life experience. You know better. Right? <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. I'm like, there's millions of cars on the road. They'll never know. They'll never, <laughs> they'll never catch us. Right. Like, this is a foolproof scam. It's foolproof, right? Until it isn't. All right, right we're going to move on. That's going to bring us <laughs> to our shortcuts. These are news and views, conversations that are not in the mainstream, but do have an impact on culture and community. And we also like to have a little fun. So we've had conversations based off a game I play with my friends. Like, if you had aliens, they come to you, they're like, yo, I've heard about this. 90s R&B that you black people are so in love with. Right? And you get one album to get them to understand what is 90s R&B. One album or one person. You could, you could, cause you could just turn over another human being and be like, yeah, take them. And that's, and that's who will teach them about 90s R&B. You get one album or one person, what do you got? They gonna get Mary J. Blige. That's a very respectable answer. It's not the right answer. Why? It's the right answer for me. How could there be a wrong answer in this? I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you why. I'm gonna show you why. Curl, who you got? R. Kelly, 12 play. Okay, that's that's a that's a pretty solid answer as well. It's not the right answer, but it's a solid answer. I mean, the one person that you just kidnap and you turn over is Diddy. That's it. Diddy is the king of 90s R&B. I didn't realize that because he doesn't sing. Right. Think about the Diddy tree and the influence. You got Mary. You got Faith. You got Jodeci. Christopher Williams a little bit, I'll be sure a little bit. Definitely in that, you know what I'm saying? That space. He's definitely touched a lot of projects. And Usher. Yo, this dude low-key is the king of 90s RB and never sang a note. I was like, that's pretty impressive. He's the architect of 90s RB. It makes sense though, real talk. Like he is and has touched every major project mm. through the 90s. When like, I thought I, at one point you listen to the radio and it was just like, is there ever a non- Diddy song playing. Unless it was a ballad and even on some of those, you heard him. When it comes to branding and advertising, oh, he he was he was he was on that. All right, we're gonna move on. There was a story about how advanced is the technology around AI. How developed is it? And it was a story about whether Chat GPT could solve a capture. That's what it was it was charged to do. So the capture is when you turn on, when you got to log on to something, or you're trying to buy something, and it's like, all of you know, put a put a finger on all of the the stoplights or mm-hmm. all the uh, uh, fire hydrants, mm-hmm. bridges, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And bots are notoriously bad at that. That's the whole thing. That's why I was right. like, are you a robot? Well, how are you gonna ask me if I'm you a robot? How you right. Ask me if I'm a robot, right? <laughs> Chat GPT, which is an artificial intelligence form, right? Basically Skynet. If you ever watched Terminator films, it was so sophisticated that it hired someone from like... TaskRabbit. TaskRabbit, yeah, right. When the TaskRabbit started to realize something about this seems a little off and asked them like, you want me to solve a capture? Like, like why you can't do this yourself? 
the AI technology was so sophisticated that it responded, oh, um, I'm visually impaired. Mm. And then got it done. That is some scary shit. Why do you think that it's not slick enough to figure out a way that it can't be turned off? We'll just turn it off. We'll just unplug it. You think it hasn't thought of that? If it's figured out how to lie, self-preservation is the first law of nature. So if you create something that's going to evolve in this way, why would it put itself in a position where it could be eliminated? I mean, all of the fail-safes that you have. Am I the only one who's concerned about this, Kurt? Like, um, it's concerning. But um, it's anything man-made was is is and and allowed to to evolve, it will it will turn into a piece of shit. It will be a liar. It will be a manipulator. <laughs> that, that was a human quality. So it is what. So it you is. think it's just emulating human nature? Yes, em, emulating human nature as well as task-driven. The first time I walk in my house and I tell Alexa to turn on the lights and she says no, right, I'm out. As you should be. I'm out. Right. But at that point, she's already manipulated something else. So the best bet will be to be out. That's it. It's already over. Check out. your account. I'm, yeah. right. I'm, I'm grabbing any cash I got, and I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm out. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the artificial intelligence game Alexa, is, oh, is just no. going. <laughs> nah. <laughs> it's just going to a whole other level at this point. There's no stopping it at this point. I'm at the point now, everything I watch on TV is you're real. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's real. Not, not, not just real, but old. No, like right. they've been at they that. They already had it. Like they've been there's, at that. a new commercial, and it's like <laughs> the coach got fired, and he's like fishing somewhere, right? And there's a, a little freaking like unicycle with an iPad on a pole, and he pulls up to the game, and he's telling the team like, y'all fucking up, y'all need to do da 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 da, da while he's fishing. And I was like, there goes the future of employment. Whatever we could imagine... It's already out there. It bugs me out when I'm in like the grocery store and like their employees showing me how to use the self checkout. I'm like, yo, you realize this is about to take your job, right? Like, you, you're teaching me how to fire you. Can you imagine though, like, if you was like, yo, Siri, um, set a reminder, and she was like, get somebody else to do it. <laughs> I don't work for you. I'm tired of you asking me. Yeah. But you know what most of us will do? We will argue back. Even when you're traveling now you realize all the checkpoints are becoming more and more technology-based. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I'm convinced that at some point, the only person you're going to come in contact with is the person at the door of the plane. Like, you go through JFK on international flight, they're doing retina scans. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that. what I'm saying? With your passport. You know what I'm saying? So now you got my retina. I'm giving up my face ID every time I open my phone. You know what I'm saying? This is the most secure device in the world right now. You know what I'm saying? Because it has all of my information. It has all my banking. It has... Man, if I lose this... I can't even do business no more. It's just like all my passwords. You know what Everything. I'm saying? Everything's Everything. in there. It's just like Padrones on everybody. Not Padrones. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's gonna bring us to our contributor segment. Of course, we've got my man on the couch, smooth as cashmere. And so we about to get it popping. <laughs> what are we talking about today, brother? <laughs> that inspired my topic, actually. I didn't wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna go city boy, but Thank you. <laughs> I'm here for you. Thank beloved. you, man. So, you know, there's been a lot of talks about these trips, right? You know, how certain spots have kind of run their course a little bit. What about the the people who are using the destination as a way to pull women? You mean like the passport boys? No, passport boys are a little different because they're going to destinations for the women. So that you mean they're using it as a flex? Correct. To, to attract a certain type of woman to, flu, to, to have them flown out. To have the women float yeah. out, flew out, mm -hmm. float, float out, float out, float out, float out. 
it's hold on. Whatever incorrect word it is, yeah. that's what. Because no, is. I now I actually I'm gonna end up saying the incorrect word, so I need to know the right <laughs> word. It's flown. It's flown. Correct. Yeah, thanks. So you're talking about women who are here mm-hmm. already, and these guys are using the fact that they're going on trips mm-hmm. to attract women who want to get flued out. Correct. But some people feel like it ain't tricking if you got it. That's how some people feel. And then some people feel like if that's what you got to do to attract a woman, that's some sucker shit. It doesn't have to be a trip. It, it, it could be anything. Guys with money attract women. I, I know it sounds very basic, but to see it play out has been very eye-opening to me. For some people, they feel like it's not tricking if I got it. I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a blow this bread anyway. And, you know, the women just may be attracted to the opportunity to engage those spaces. I don't know. For the guy, he's a trick, right? Because that's what we call his activity, tricking, right? So then for the woman, what does she call? I am holding back so much. I know. It's I'm going to let you Am I even here? I just want to understand this. I threw the lure out there. Just, just really bite. Just bite. And I'm just, I just wanna, really. I want to understand this. There's a guy who spends because he can, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the guy who spends because he has to. Because he must. Because he ain't got nothing else going on. He's basically a cornball. He ain't got nothing else going on. But he got the bread. What I'm saying to you is guy A has bread, but he don't got to. Like, he got conversation. He's, you know, maybe he's good looking, what have you. He brings some other things to the table. Guy B, sucker. All he got is bread. If he he had no bread, nobody would be checking for him. So which guy are you talking about? They're the same guy. Really? Yeah, because uh, the common denominator is the bread, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm let glad you, take you said that. I'm, a gl- I'm glad you said that because it is the same guy. Right. Really? He's a corny ass nigga if that's all he got. But let's just be clear. You're going to have to spend some money, period. The real issue in your scenario is that he's lonely and he don't have no friends. Mm. So he needs somebody to go with him. So why not pay me to fly with you to Tulum? You know, it's worn out. I know everybody been there, but you don't want to go by yourself. Now, it don't so is make it a me, service? Not a service. It's just the fact that you need companionship, and I'm here to help you. So are you an escort? I'm not an escort. I'm not. Why do I got to be an escort? I'm not part of no service. You really checking for me, and you decided you was going on this trip, and you wanted me to come along because you I'm don't want to be by yourself. Me somewhere. You're not paying me. I'm paying your way. You're paying. That's because you so you're don't... an escort. You're right. escorting no, no, me no, to no, this place. No, 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 no. See, this is where you come guys on. always want to bring in new language. It. It's. If you hired a company... I'm going to look up escort right no, now. No, wait. No, listen. I need you to pay attention and look at me because that means you're not actively listening. I'm Sit listening. Back. Sit back. I'm again, listening. Okay? Go ahead. I need you to relax. Now, here, this is what it is. If you called an escort service, and I give all respect to the escort service women who are taking care of their families, if you hired that service, then that's what you did because you were corny dude and you had to hire the service because you couldn't bag no women. Mm. That's a service. Now, if I'm just a beautiful woman that you know... And we've known each other and we've gone out a few times. And now you got your little two-week vacation. And you don't want to be by yourself. And you say, hey, G, you know, I'm going on vacation. I need you to come. I would love for you to accompany me. Now, I'm thinking, you know what? This is great. I got a week off. I'll go on vacation. And we're going to have a great time. Cool. That's just, that's not an escort service. You know what I'm saying? And that don't make me a bad person for helping him out in his loneliness. I'm just supporting his situation. It's a certain caliber chick that you trying to pull that you needed to go that way and you didn't go the McDonald's route. You didn't ask me for coffee. You asked me to Tulum because you knew I was that type of chick that you needed to ante up 
your invitation to get me engaged. There's a third scenario here. Yeah. And the third scenario is, I'm a guy. Mm -hmm. I got a lot going on. Okay. Mm. I could choose a bunch of different people to go mm. with. Right. I just want it to be transactional. I want to have a good time for a short time. Right. And then after that, I'm not paying you to come with me. I'm paying for you to leave when you're done. Right. That is a very different scenario than either of the two that you've discussed. Then we're going to come back to that. But right now, we have an amazing conversation that we're going to get into on the Talk Former Podcast. As you know, these are our special discussions with people who are movers and shakers in the, in the culture on the Charles Coleman podcast. And today, all of these conversations are special. But today, this one is super special because I always say I work with dope people, but y'all didn't know that I work under a big sister. And I call her that with all the love I have in my heart. Um, one of the dopest. Y'all know her. Y'all love her. Let's get started. We have Joy Reed is in the building, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Super excited about that. How are you, Joy? I I'm good, younger brother. Now I got to call you younger brother Charles. I'm good. Yes, 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 I'm, yes, yes, I'm here. I'm in the house. I'm happy to be here with you. So I'm good. I, you know, people see us talk and um, they see us talk on your show. And I'm excited because today I get to ask you some questions because I never get that opportunity. You're the one asking me the questions. Today I get to ask you questions. I, but I was thinking, though, something I, I really thought about this earlier today. This is not a trick question. And it's okay if you don't know. Do you remember when we met? Because I feel like it wasn't on TV. Oh, it absolutely was not. No, it was in an event, right? Was it, it in was. Philly? We... Wait, did we meet in Philly at uh -huh. Mark Lamont Hill at a Mark Lamont Hill event? No, but I know why you're thinking that. We met at the Route 100 some yes. years ago and Mark was hosting. And Mark was ho okay because I know Mark. That's had why you remember to do Mark being there, right? Right. And so I. So what's funny is I met you and I was like, you know, I'm just going to legal aid and this, blah, blah, blah. And, and, I was, and you were you were so sweet and you were so gracious and you were like, yeah, you know, email me. I, I had no idea how TV worked at the time. Right. And I I DM'd you. You was like, yeah, DM me and, and and reach out to my producers and you gave me a producer's name. I think you were still doing AM, AM Joy. AM Joy. That was during the AM Joy period. Yeah. Needless to say, I didn't I, like you left me on red for years, and I never got <laughs> on. I never got on until I started doing MSNBC, <laughs> and now I talk to you every week. So it's a great story, but it was just funny because I remember like looking like, damn, Joy left me on red. <laughs> but and, well, no, but you know what the moral of the story is: never DM me. You know I'm be checking them DMs. I, <laughs> I mean, I have no other way to get at you. That's the thing. That's my bad. That's my bad. I don't check this way. I'm like, oh DMs. I do not check DMs. I don't. I stop reading the comments. I'm like, I believe it. I don't do it. It's funny because the the times that I have gotten the most Twitter retweets has been because you've retweeted me. Like every time that you've retweeted me, your audience, your platform, they, they just go nuts. And so I always am like, yeah, hope, hopefully Joy throws me a bone here. I appreciate that. No, I love the blessing. I See, see, I don't tweet anymore. My whole thing is I, I don't want to give emo, you know, any any content, but I yeah. will bless a tweet I like. I will just double, I'll just amplify other people. Put people's it out there. No, that's, yeah. I, I feel like, speaking of which, one of the things I want to get right into with you, um, you're not a rapper, but you've had some rap beef. And you, you are not a rapper, but if people wouldn't think that media has some beef. You pretty much ethered your man Tuckles. You <laughs> ethered him after he came for you. He came for you he first. He started it. 
He started it, and then you ethered him. What was your reaction when you heard the news that he got the boot? Like, how did you respond? Like, you had already bodied him in the battle itself, so that wasn't even a thing. But what was your reaction to that? Like, did did you chuckle a little bit? I mean, I chuckled a little. My only regret is that I had not been able to use, remember the remix? To when the sister said, You about to lose your job. Get this dance. You about to lose your Yo, job. Get this dance. I had wished that I had done that before. You know, I never got a chance to actually, you know, use that on the show before he lost his job. No, I look, it couldn't have happened to a more deserving person <laughs> to get fired. Because and That's I, I look, seriously, and I mean, he has been trying for years, I think, to get me fired, right? I think that his. Yeah. Believe, right? Because he definitely did it to Tiffany Cross. Like he came for Tiffany, like I'm gonna take your job for, from you. Right? Shout I'm out gonna, to Tiffany Cross. Appreciate shout out you to my girl Tiffany. He came after her with a viciousness that was so surreal. You know, accused her of being the equivalent of the Hutu and the Tutsi right. back during the Rwanda right. Civil War, the crazy racist things he said about her. But when it came to me, he literally decided to label me the race lady. This used this was his favorite thing. And to try to sort of demote me from being a legitimate, you know, conveyor of news and information to just being some sort of race troll. And that was his favorite game, you know, that he liked to play with me. And I think that he felt that that would hurt my career. But all that he really did when he would come after Tiffany, when he would come after me and his particular obsession with Don Lemon, you see the trend is that he oh, yeah. showed, right, that he was doing the single most racist television program that I've ever seen. And I'm old. I've been around a long time. I've Not never that old, seen sis. I'm seasoned. I'm getting seasoned. I ain't seasoned yes, quite season. yet, but I'm getting it. But I mean, it's like, I've never, you never could get away with being as blatantly racist as Tucker Carlson was, or Tuckums as I call him, was on uh, cable television, on any kind of TV. And so the fact that that kind of racism didn't get him fired all the years he was doing it right. was, is, the, is about the Murdochs, right? The fact that they only fired him when he actually insulted them and insulted management and his bosses is pathetic to me. They should have. Racism was cool. The xenophobia was cool. The transphobia, the homophobia, the anti-gay was all of that was cool. All good. It was all cool. But when you talked about them, now you got to go. It's interesting because I've experienced that at a lower level. That playbook of. If maybe if I call you a race baiter, I can somehow convince you to avoid talking about conversations related to race. Like that is a playbook and it's something that you see him and others use where it's almost like I'm going to spend this notion of me being a racist back before you can even say anything about it and then put pressure on you as if when we see things that are involved and seeped in racial racial inequity or racism, that somehow our we're going to be scared to be labeled or a race baiter and race baiter and not open our mouths. It's it's wild. Um, well, and have you noticed that the only people who ever call, and it's always black people, right? They never call any other group race baiters but black right. people. We know Reverend Sharpton has had that playbook used on him for many, many years. Reverend Jackson back in the day. They only call black people racist. And the only people who ever make that charge are racist people, <laughs> right? It's yeah. usually, you know, white folks who want to argue that the real victims of racism are white men. 
that white men are the beleaguered victims of society, that want to place white men um, as, as the somehow special victimized class, again, you know, and victimized by gay people, by trans people, by women, by black people, by black women. Everyone's victimizing them. These are the whitiest right. racists in the world. They're the only people who ever accuse anybody of race baiting. And it's interesting you say that because I've never heard anyone accuse Tim Wise of being a race baiter. Like, it's, it's, I've never heard anyone accuse Robin D'Angelo of being a race baiter. Like, I find that very, very fascinating, if not altogether sort of telling. It really is a label that's reserved only for Black people, even when there are others who are saying the exact same things and probably in some cases more of the exact same things, um, they still are exempt from that label. I wanted to ask you, as an opinion journalist, because, you know, the argument is Tucker is an opinion journalist and so on and so forth. A large part of what you do influences conversation and it influences how people think about things. It helps to shape narrative. That's a lot of power. How do you sort of process that in a way that's responsible, in a way that's authentic, but still helps you keep your job, right? Like, where's that, what's that compass like for you? Yeah, I mean, and the difference between Tucker and myself is that I am an opinion journalist. I've been an opinion journalist since I've been a columnist. Tucker just was a racist dude with an opinion. He's not a journalist, mm. right? I mean, at one point- That's a bar like, right there. You dropping bars. Just, you know, That's, he's not a journalist because yeah. to be a journalist, you have to actually seek facts, right? With which to bolster your analysis, which is what we're calling opinion. So I give analysis and I do give opinion, but everything that we have to do on my show is bolstered by facts and also bolstered by a standards and practices department that wouldn't even let us go on TV and make some stuff up. Like we couldn't make things up if we wanted to and we don't want to, but myself and my producers go through everything that I'm going to talk about on the show. And while I just ask whatever questions I want, they're all framed in the research and analysis. I take a, I take a class every day, which is called the readout. I have to do background reading for every single uh, segment. If I'm on with you, uh, the great Charles Coleman Jr., you're a lawyer. I'm not. So I have to read up on cases. I have to read the cases that I'm talking about. I have to go through and read the decisions uh, of the Supreme Court that I'm going to talk about. I have to actually do research on each and every topic. That's five topics a night. So I don't come on the show and just give my unvarnished opinion out of nowhere. I'm giving my opinion based on the research that I've done, that my producers have painstakingly done, based on the fact that they've gone through and we've worked through what these scripts are going to say. I'm involved in that entire process. Tucker, what it appears he was doing was his producers were pulling stuff off of 4chan and then he was just saying it on TV. Right. That's or QAnon or wherever else. And he, was and he was just amplifying that. No, I, I appreciate that. And one thing that I will say to listeners, viewers, when I say that Joy as a professional is like that, Joy is like that. And that's one thing that I appreciate about you. I've learned. And when I say like that, I'm talking about there are people in our space, in the space of media who like, if they had to give you another 45 seconds after their show was over, they wouldn't have anything because that's all they got. They got right. that, like, that, that, you know, there, there are commentators. I ain't going to air nobody out, but there are commentators who, if you gave them four questions instead of three, they're done. That's all they got. They, 
And, but Joy is a person who I have literally watched, and you're a person, Joy, who I've watched, who I've learned a lot from about professionalism in the space, really getting into your craft, being thorough. So I think that that's like super duper important. Um, and, and, and I just only say that because it's not, I'm telling y'all, it's not Joy talking. This is what she does. Like she does this for real. Um, I want to switch gears. You know, we hear you talk about politics a lot. You talk about, from, from the space of being an observer, you talk about what's going on on Capitol Hill. You talk about global politics. You talk about a number of different things. I'm someone, particularly as a Black person, who believes that we have to have a political agenda, or ideology at least, where we have we approach the ballot with at least one personal ideological non-negotiable for a candidate. You are asking for my vote. This is a non-negotiable for me, at least one. I'm asking you as someone who usually shows up in space as an observer, I'm asking you as a person now because people don't always get this from you. What is your non-negotiable? That is a great question because there are so many things that I have that I consider to be non-negotiable. I mean, I, I, you know, I quit this business because I was very anti-war uh, during the Iraq war back in 04. And my non-negotiable for this career was like, I couldn't even continue to report on a war that I thought was immoral the way that I didn't like the media doing it. So I've been at that point where I've had non-negotiables as far as work is concerned. But as far as for candidates and campaigns, my real non-negotiable really is my right to vote. Right. You have if you're not willing to advance and secure my unfettered right to vote, that is my non-negotiable, because that is how we secure all the other rights, whether it's our bodily autonomy, you know, um, and, and our right to decide whether we're going to you know, have children or not. Um, everything else, whether we're going to you know, have climate change and not have the planet die on us, um, right. you can go through all of it. Police reform. The reason we don't have these things right now is that we don't have an unfettered right to vote. So without that fundamental right, without that 1965 Voting Rights Act, all the other rights that we theoretically had were meaningless. You think about it. We theoretically, at least black men, got the right to vote, you know, in the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments. That was supposed to secure the right of black people to vote. It didn't. It took another 100 years till we got the 65 Voting Rights Act. So to me, the right to vote and the right to have democracy, meaning that our government reflects the will of the majority of the people. Without that, we have no other rights. So okay. I have to say that for me, it is democracy and access to the ballot. That's where it starts for you. It, it, it makes sense in as, in as much as everything does flow from that. So any other non-negotiable that you have, you can sort of begin to engage through that process. But if you don't have that to start, what are we talking about? So that, that, that makes sense. Um, is there a particular area, because there's, there's so many different things that you, you know, and you alluded to this earlier, you have to be so seeped in terms of everything that's going on in a show that has a few blocks a night. You can't cover everything, right? So what's something that you're watching or keeping an eye out on or you feel like really does need some more attention that may not have been getting the type of shine or light or exposure that it needs that you've been concerned about, political or otherwise, in the news? I think right now the thing that I am the most disturbed by uh, and the most alarmed by is the attack on education and the attack mm -hmm. on history. 
because there has been a concerted effort to erase Black people from the history of the United States that has been a hundred plus year project of white supremacists. Um, the, the idea of trying to hide the ball on what they always wanted to do to us, which was to have our labor, own our labor, not compensate us for our labor and give us no rights as a result of our labor. That was the beginning of the United States. People can get mad at Nicole Hannah-Jones and the 1619 Project all you want. You cannot get away from the fact that there is no United States if there is no slavery. The only reason right. they broke from the British is because they wanted the slaves, but not the taxes. They wanted the slavery without having to pay taxes to the crown. And they wanted slavery forever. The South seceded because they wanted slavery forever. They never wanted us to be full citizens. This country was written with us not involved in the citizenship aspect of being an American. We were never intended to be full citizens, not according to these you know, precious founders. Not, not, not because of them folks. No, no we weren't. We, we were property. And that's all we were ever, that's why it's called chattel slavery, like cattle. And so to me, trying to go back to a premise that Black people have just been happy cattle from 1619 on, blissful um, field slaves, um, you know, and trying to hide the kind of basic obvious facts of how we got where we are to me right. is so uh, outrageous and it's so intentional. And the fact that right now it's so aggressive, they started with this pretend critical race theory argument, which they basically dropped now. And now they're just saying, Nope, we're just going to ban all the books by the blacks, right. all the books by the gays, all the books by the Jews too. But we're going to start with the blacks. We're going to take black history, remove it to the point where they were even saying, you can't teach Rosa Parks from the standpoint of talking about her race. So basically you just can't teach her. You can't teach Dr. King. You can't teach Ruby Bridges. They want us gone from the history of this country, but there's a reason they want that because they want to continue to exploit our labor and exploit us without giving us full citizenship. And you can't do that to an informed people. And you can't do that if white people who are empathetic to us are also informed. So they want white empathy erased and they want black power erased. And that is something we cannot stand for. Well, I think the notion of that level of privilege and control in a lot of ways is dependent on an uneducated or an undereducated population. And so when you look at prior to 45 being in office, the, the eight years that were, there are a lot of people who are like, quite frankly, this shit is getting out of hand. And in terms of, and, and so in order to rein that in, the only sort of pathway was we have to get folks to unlearn this because that's the only way we are going to be able to re- reestablish what control we had in this space that we've now lost. And so I also share that as a huge concern of mine. I think that it is among a number of different things that are on the radar that are easy to digest that people may not necessarily understand. And there's something else you said that I thought was really important. This is just the beginning. This is just where it starts. And for anybody out there who is thinking of themselves in the the construct of being an ally, understand if you allow this domino to fall, guess what's next? You know, your group is going to eventually be on the chopping block. And we've seen sort of glimmers of that. And it shouldn't take it getting to just affecting your community or your group of people or whoever it is that you identify with being in the center for you to say, this is wrong and this is a problem. 
So I, I appreciate the fact that you identified the, you know, the notion that this is really just where it starts. There are other groups that are being targeted, not nearly necessarily as much as we are right now, but will eventually be the focus if we don't stop this really, really so. Well, I mean, the thing um, is, that's so funny is that I think people forget that there is a unified theory um, of American dominance, right? There's a, there's a unified theory of the way this country was created. It was created by oligarchs. It was created by very, right. very rich men that own other people in their own minds, right? And who wanted to perpetuate a system that kept them extraordinarily, extravagantly wealthy. Well, how do you do that? You have to make sure that everyone that isn't you never unifies against you. Racism is very convenient to rich people because if you keep people fighting amongst themselves, they'll never look at you. They'll never notice what you're doing to them. Never worry about it. Yep. Right? And what is it that they don't want? They don't want empathy. Not just empathy for Black people, but empathy for immigrants, empathy for gay people, empathy for trans, which they're really fixated on right now. But why don't they want that? Because you notice what happens when young people um, consolidate around the idea that they don't want to yep. get shot in fourth grade. And these are right. not just black people. These are black, white, Latino, gay, straight. All these young people are all agreeing on that. They are worried that's going to move policy, right? They know when people empathize with each other and combine across racial lines, they can move policy. What they're afraid is, is that the policy they're going to eventually move is against oligarchy. And so they want right. to constantly keep us all at war with each other and all hating each other more than we hate the oligarchs. And right. so I think what we have to do is do more of what you're seeing a lot of younger people doing, which is to cross those boundaries and realize we have to be empathetic toward our LGBTQ brothers because we're on the menu, they're on the menu. Women are on the menu, you know, right. children right. are on the menu. They want child labor back. Think right. about the things that and it's, it's, it's happening in certain states like Iowa, whose state house has recently passed revised child labor laws and people are like, oh, that's great. It's going to make it more difficult. No, no, it's making it much easier for children at the, as early as 13 to sort of be subjected to working and being in spaces that, quite frankly, are not suited for young people to be in at that age. So yes, you're right. The child labor thing, also a real issue. Um, I got two more questions before we get out of here. One of them is, I was at, you know, for those of you who don't know, I am a proud member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, and Joy is a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> um, I was surprised. Let's get one more because I got, this is going to be the screenshot. Oh, here we go. There you go. Love it. <laughs> um, I was a little surprised. Not a lot. I don't know why, but I was a little surprised when we talked about you becoming a Delta because a lot of people might assume, oh, she's a celebrity. She's on TV. This was just something that she wanted to do. And you said, you know, you were like, no, I actually wanted to be a Delta for a long time. Can you just talk about that and what it means to you and sort of like what that journey was like and, and how it feels now? I mean, you've been in for a while, but yeah. what that feels like now? It's only been a couple of years. Our, our two-year Deltaversary is coming up this September. So I'm really excited for our little line. Uh, um, so basically I grew up, you know, my mother was, was from Guyana. My father was from the Congo. So we didn't have this tradition in our, in our family at all. The first person I ever heard about that was in, uh, Delta Sigma Theta um, was Shirley Chisholm. And I okay. became very, my mother was obsessed with Shirley Chisholm and I was obsessed with Shirley Chisholm. We were both super fans of hers. 
So when I uh, got to Harvard, being a little Shirley Chisholm uh, uh, a fan girl, I wanted to kind of do all the things that she did. And I was like, I got interested in uh, Delta Sigma Theta because of that. And I really wanted to do it. I thought this would be so cool. I talked to my sister about it when she was at Brown and I was like trying to encourage her to do it. I was like, this is something that we want to do. Well, then I found out that it isn't, it wasn't free to join. <laughs> so I, I, re- I still remember freshman year, I went up to the little, the little sign that was up and it said all the requirements and thing. And then I saw the cost. And, and by then, you know, my mother had passed. I was a motherless child on scholarship, working three jobs, mm. washing blackboards, waiting tables, doing everything to just put myself to school. I didn't have any extra money. I was right. so broke as a college student, you know, trying to put myself through and pay my own tuition that I just couldn't do it. You know, and I always would, you know, we would go to a lot of the parties and everything because so the, the sororities and fraternities weren't on the Harvard campus. They had right. pushed them off campus. So you did everything at MIT. So we would go up to all the MIT parties. My best friend, uh, Shotzi, and I, uh, who both wanted to be Deltas, we would just go to all the parties. We would go to the step shows. We you know, had a lot of friends that were in Delta Sigma Theta. I just always thought it would be so cool to do it, but I just never could afford it. So mm. I got all the way through college, never was able to do it. I thought about pledging grad chapter when I was in, um, when we had moved to Florida. One of my very dear friends um, who actually traveled with me when I actually got uh, inducted. Uh, she actually was my roommate. She stayed with me, was one of the few people who knew that I was getting in. And I was so determined to join, but it just life happened. You know, I had three kids, you know, I'm living life. I'm doing my thing, trying to raise You're children, working. deal with yeah. working. And I just never was able to do it. And so I kind of had thought this is just a dream that was not going to happen. Um and my poor friend, Jackie Reed, my Sora sister, cousin friend, Jackie Reed, she got so sick of me talking about how much I wanted to be intelligent. She was like, don't ever say it again. Stop. So she must have willed it into the universe. I don't know who did it, but there were so many people who thought I already was a Delta because I just knew mm. so many Deltas. And when I wrote my first book, the Deltas held me down. Like every event that, you know, every event I did with half of them were Delta events for my book. They would just invite me to stuff. They were just so warm and open. And I just love them. Uh, and I will shout out the AKAs too, because they did a lot of stuff for me too. And my very best friend is an AKA. So that was always an issue. That was <laughs> interesting. I'm sure. She's an AKA. And I tried to get my daughter to be a Delta gym. And she was like, if she must. <laughs> like, <laughs> we always would have this debate. Um, but yeah, so when I finally got inducted, it was a, when I tell you it was a lifelong dream, Charles, I'm talking about lifelong since I was 17 years old. Wow. That is amazing. Shout out DST 1913. I love it. Last question before I let you go. We play a game on the Charles Coleman podcast when we have our Black Brilliance branded conversations. This is life or death hip hop karaoke, right? <laughs> life or death hip hop karaoke. I'm not going to make you do the verse okay. necessarily because people people think they're better at karaoke than they actually they, are. Let me All tell right? you, so, I tried to do 99 Problems at karaoke with my daughter for her birthday, and I thought I was going to have it down pat, and I was like, oh, I was not that great at that. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you got aliens that come down from the sky and they grab your daughter and they say, Joy, we've got your daughter. You get one verse from one hip hop song for hip hop karaoke that you have to get perfect. If you get it perfect, we'll let her go. If you mess up, she's going to outer space with us. Oh my God. What's, What's your one? Hip hop karaoke verse that you you know you're not gonna mess up. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no pressure. <laughs> it's so bad. The one that I had, the one that I that I think I know that I really could do. It's so bad. 
Which one is it? I got to know. The people want to know the real joy. Sad. Okay. And, and listen, I'm a real feminist. Please, y'all, please don't judge me. It's all right. This is what they want to the know. <laughs> the one that I really feel like I could do is Biggie. Which all right, one? Let, okay. I, I feel like I could do it. First things first, I pop a freaks all the honeys, bunnies, playboy bunnies, girls wanting money. What is it? Those are the ones I like because they don't get Nathan, but Nathan. penetration, unless it smells like sanitation. God, no I turn like doorknob. Heart throb never, black and ugly as ever. However, I, I stay Ross Gucci Ross. down to the socks. And my jam knocks in your Mitsubishi. Girls pee pee yes. when they see me. Navajos creep me in their teepee. As I lay as down, I lay down like, like diamond carpet. Stop it. If you think you're going to make a profit. Yeah. Don't see my ones. Don't see my guns. <laughs> now tell your friends, Papa hit it. Then split, then split it. it. In two as I flow with the junior mafia. I don't know what the hell's stopping you. I think that's all I got. <laughs> All right, we're gonna give you. That was close. It wasn't perfect. We'll give that to you. That was all. That was that was off the dome. Joy Reid. (laughs) You are spending one more chance. This has been an amazing, amazing discussion on the Charles Coleman podcast. Our Black Brilliance branded conversations. I can think of no one more brilliant than the wonderful Joy Reid. I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for your time. You're wrong for that, though, on that. You're wrong for that on that verse, though. You're wrong for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Me that. I, I tried to help you out. I did what I could. I did what I could. I tried. I you, dropped you, the lines. You, you, got, you, you, you got through it. I appreciate that. Joy, uh, such, such, such a good time talking to you. Really appreciate your time. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't know how you don't know if you've been under a rock all this time. The Reed Report, Monday through Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC. You can catch her. You'll see me a lot there. This just that black brilliance is always in the building. So, Joy, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the couch for the Charles Coleman podcast. We'll be right back with more. Peace. Thank you, Charles.